This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Canadian schools are trying to figure out what to do about cell phone usage in the classroom. Earlier this week, the Toronto District School Board trustees approved a revised policy on an existing cell phone ban. The revision tries to strike a balance between phones for educational purposes and also staying focused in class, limiting distractions. The topic was explored in this week's edition of McLean's Magazine on AMI-audio. Here's a clip from the show. The prevailing attitude in education used to be that anyone critical of classroom tech was a dinosaur and that we should just teach students to use phones responsibly. The problem, as we now know, is that phones aren't designed for that. Last October, dozens of American states sued Meta, alleging that apps like Instagram are harming children's mental health. After so many months spent forcing students to learn via screen during the pandemic, more teachers seem to be enthusiastic about experiential learning. Learning by doing. Oh, gosh, I love Anastasia McLean's reading voice, top tier. Don Dickinson is the content curator of McLean's magazine on AMI-audio. You can shed a bit more light on the issue. Hey, good morning, Don. Hi there, Dave. Yeah, it's quite the issue, isn't it? Oh, it is. It, it, it is quite the issue, and it's a complex one. But what are some of the statistics behind the increase of cell phone use among students? Well, surprisingly, it's very high. Half of Canadian children between the ages of 7 and 11 now have their own mobile device, a stat that jumps to 87%, Dave, for kids aged 12 to 17. And a large portion of this, believe it or not, or or, or a large reason for this is, of course, uh, um, you would think it would be the kids, like, you know, demanding, but uh, it's the parents who want to be in constant touch, which is totally surprising to me because I'm of that generation where your parents kicked you out the door and said, come home for supper. You know, it's just, uh, (laughs) you know, it's just that they want to constantly be in touch with their kids. So why are schools having to grapple with this so directly? In some cases, it's provinces. In some cases, it's boards. Some cases, it's individual schools. Why are schools trying to grapple with this right now? Well, you know, there's a real problem because, um, as the author says, uh, they can clearly see the impact of smartphones on socialization. They say that students now spend their recesses looking at their phones instead of interacting with each other. Violent incidences in schools are uh, are way up, way up. And of course, those incidences are then posted and streamed online for everyone to see. Right now, many provinces are also experiencing teacher shortages spurred on by difficult working uh, conditions Mm. where smartphones um, just basically are uh, exacerbating the situation. And I know this myself because I deal with a lot of, because of the charity that I deal with for my old high school, you know, the teachers are telling me that these incidents are really getting to be almost common. 
Yeah, in some cases it's teachers being filmed by students, in other cases it's students bullying each other with the digital devices in a, in a more silent way. Certainly it's a distraction, but they are also valuable tools, right? A cell phone and technology is something that can be valuable and can be useful in guided context. So. What's the bigger picture here, Don, in regards to different policies in different jurisdictions across Canada? Well, it really varies. Um, I mean, across Canada, there's been all sorts of uh, um, decisions made. The province of Newfoundland and Labrador announced this week alone that they will uh, that they do not plan to go ahead with the ban, despite cell phones being disruptive and a distraction in the classrooms. The province believes it is up to the individual school or teachers to decide. Um, on the other hand, you've got Quebec. Um, Quebec's ban came into effect uh, December uh, 31st uh, last year and applies to elementary and secondary schools with the aim of reducing distractions in class. Teachers do not do have the option to allow students to use their phones for specific teaching purposes. So I think there's a real um, variance in all uh, of the provinces as to how they're going to be dealing with this. But, you know, that's a bit of a, a problem in and of itself, Dave, you know, we because I know from the teachers I've spoken to, they do not want the uh, cell phones, uh, uh, smartphones in classrooms. Okay, Don, let's uh, put a pin in that one. This will be explored again in the roundtable a little bit later in the show in segment eight. So in about an hour and a half time, this topic will be revisited. But let's pivot to a different topic, and that's financial security. This article is titled How Open Banking Can Fix Canada's Financial Security Issue. The article describes Canada's banking system is full of potential dangers for customers. A lot of it has to do with the rise of financial tech companies, companies that are apps, softwares, or other forms of technology that allow people or businesses to have digital access into their finances outside of the typical banking context. So through these fintech companies, there's a lot of data being shared. Why, where does the security issue pop up for customers? Well, this is scary stuff, Dave, because anything that you're with your finances, you know, it's um, it's very important to keep that stuff private. And the problem is that most of the country's banks don't give Canadians a way to share all of the data securely. According to estimates from the federal government, 9 million Canadians have simply just given away their online banking usernames and passwords to fintechs who then uh, log in on users' behalf to access, access data that they need. In some cases, using these fintech apps can avoid the, agree the agreements and warranties Canadians have with their banks. This means that users won't have anyone to bail them out if they wake up one day to find their accounts have been cleared by scammers. Mm. The Canadian banking environment is an extremely regulated one, and a lot of these fintech companies are disruptors. So why is something like open banking, how does that, why is that the solution? How does that end up bringing some of these gaps? Well, the solution basically is for the government to introduce consumer-driven or open banking, a regulatory measure that's already been legalized and cleaned up, um, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and cleaned up uh, this exact mess in the European Union and the UK. The measure is also coming soon to the United States, where the American Financial Consumer Protection Agency is leading the charge. 
Open banking works in two ways. First, the law compels banks to give their customers a more protected way to, sh way to share financial data using an application program interface. Um, and that's known as an API. And an API is basically a translator for a computer application. And so it, really what it comes down to, Dave, without all the ins and outs, is that the banks have to do a better job of uh, of giving us a system where you're not giving up all your private and uh, passwords and, and, and whatnot. Yeah, it's about modernization. It's about understanding that financial tech companies are disrupting markets and people do want to use them because the interfaces are useful and because the information they're gleaning can also be helpful in building your own financial picture. But yeah, you've, you've got to find a way to make sure that you can utilize these things in concert or at least find approved ways to connect these things. It goes back to the idea that the, the Canadian banking system is overly regulated for a good reason. That's one of the reasons why our economy didn't outright collapse in 2008, unlike our American friends. But the fact is the regulation does leave a lot of competition and customer value out of the marketplace. So there's a balancing act to be struck here, but financial security is certainly a big one. I don't know if you've done the mandatory course training that we've had to do around AMI here about digital security recently, but it doesn't take much to fall down a financial security pothole. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I did the course ex exactly uh, as you were referring to there, Dave, and uh, I get uh, I get more frightened every time I open up the computer, you know, it's just, <laughs> you know, I, on my phone and, and, and everywhere, you know, I got a I got a, a notification this morning about paying my, uh, uh, you know, we have a transponder to go on the highway and it said that it, it was in arrears that we owed and I'm thinking, Wait a second, that's not the case, you know. But yeah. it's just one of those things that they're just they're just trying to get you to click on, yeah, you know. Hit this link, hit this link. If you hit this link, good things are going to happen. Uh, Don, thank you for this. Have a great day. Okay, Dave. Take care. Bye-bye. That's Don Dickinson, content curator at McLean's Magazine. The show airs weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-audio. Coming up next, the 12th annual Toronto Black Film Festival kicks off later this month. Jean-François Mien gives you a sneak peek. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-tv. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.